You're listening to the Spooky and Strange Canadian Bushcraft Podcast with your horrifying host, Caleb Musgrave. Welcome and happy Halloween. Hello, Dragonfly Nation. This is episode three of the Canadian Bushcraft special for Halloween. We have all, we have already spoken about two real-world events that happened to other people throughout history. First with the Diatlov Pass, and second with the Nether, uh, the Dutch hikers that disappeared in Panama. This episode, we decided to kind of change things up. We didn't want to make this all just one simple theme. We want to kind of hit different subjects throughout all these episodes that are a five-part series for Halloween time throughout all of October. Keep a, lo- a lookout for our episodes. But we want to keep them each individual and unique. This one, we decided to focus more on fireside storytelling and our favorite campfire scary stories. Nikki and I both have a passion for telling uh, horror stories and scary stories around the fire in the woods in general. Whenever we get a chance, we like to tell these spooky tales and see if we can get somebody to freak out. Sometimes there's some hijinks and shenanigans to help influence it. But Ryan was actually telling us just before this episode, he didn't really grow up with that kind of culture in his life. Yeah, I guess I didn't have all the spooky ghost stories or else. Like, I didn't go to overnight camps and do all that kind of stuff. So. Right, right. And have that culture within my life. I like I watch Tales from the Crypt Keeper and Heck yeah, freaky stories, crawlers, and freaky stories. Freaky stories. Happy yeah. to a friend of a friend of mine. Yeah, the Megan loved oh, him. Maurice. I hated how much yeah. slime was on him as a kid. It I loved it. I loved the slime. The cockroach was always my favorite. I don't have any like good original stories. Though. Right. And that's kind of like we want to get into is like there's two different directions of fireside scary stories is you can just tell a story and embellish it and put in some hyperbole and make it your own kind of unique story that is just anyone can tell. And then there's those personal scary stories. I kind of I kind of lean towards that second or the latter, the the, the ones that sound way too personal for everybody. That sounds a little wrong from what I was trying to lean towards, but sounds unique. It sounds original. It feels real to the, to the listener, and it gets them just that much more intimately scared. Whereas, like, if you just tell a story of a friend of a friend of mine kind of thing, or I heard this happen at this camp back in 62 where they were torturing a small animal, all that kind of stuff. No. It, it doesn't have the same vibe in my experience. So... I like to tell personal stories, even if they're not necessarily true, or at least they had a grain of truth and you've embellished and added that hyperbole and made it into your own thing. I really like those. So, Nikki, do you have a scary story to tell Ryan? So, tonight we're going to try and get Ryan to dive into this culture with us of scary stories. I'm even going to light a candle just so we can fire here. Well, do it. Candle, I think that candle's depleted, so... More lights off. More lights off. We got a glow stick going, so I always turn the one light off above us. Spook. You have to keep my (laughs) eye on yourself. 
Uh, I want to scare Ryan, but my first story isn't too scary. The second one's a little bit scarier. Depends on what scares you. Setting the bar high. (laughs) Yeah. Are you ready? Give it your best. Okay. So I want to preface this story by saying this is completely 100% true, even though you hinted at stories may not be true. This is stories are always true. true, but there's always a hint of flair. There might be some flair here. There's a little bit of story embellishment just to make it sound just that much better. Yeah, there might be some flair. So for those listeners who are listening, uh, as a little bit of background information, I am an extremely nature-loving person. I spend most of my time outdoors. Uh, Maybe not so much in the last few months because I've been in the office doing office work. But I've pretty much spent the better part of the last 10 years of my life spending the majority of my week outside. So in my early 20s, I spent it traveling the Yukon. I spent it traveling BC. And I I actually lived in some of those places. I also traveled to Alaska a few times, a really, really beautiful place up there. And I ended up um, moving to Whitehorse and living there for a summer where I worked for the I worked for Holland America, which was a cruise line. And yeah, it was really fun. I worked five days a week in a restaurant and then they gave me two days off a week. And I used to go and travel, go to Alaska, go to um, Northwest Territories, go up north, like just spending a bunch of time everywhere. And two years later, I ended up in a small, small, small town made up of probably 20 people four hours away from the nearest town called Liard River. So I lived in a trailer and I had no running water. I had no electricity. I had no internet. So it was like you're in a van down by the river? It wasn't by a river. It was called Liard River. The river was like a little bit down on the Alaska Highway, a little bit south. Um, But I worked at a provincial park called, called Liard River Hot Springs. And it was home to these beautiful hot spring pools, which if you go to most hot springs, they're like full of concrete and things that people have poured into them. (laughs) And they're really made up. But these were very natural hot springs. It was all just naturalized. And the only thing that was like human made there was just a deck with change rooms and um, small like bathrooms. So... I worked, I arrived in May and I was working there till September. And basically my job there was to make sure the campsite, because there was 52 campsites there, I, I was to make sure that the campsites were clean. I would rake the stones in the campsite. I would clean out the fire pits. I would also do shifts in the gatehouse where I would take people's money. They would go soak their bones in the hot springs and feel rejuvenated. And... I also was on call for any emergencies. So people knew they got oriented to where my trailer was and they could knock on my door at any time for any emergencies. So one night I'm in my trailer and it's two in the morning and I'm dead asleep. And all of a sudden there's this knock on the door. And I lose my shit. I wake up and I'm so fucking scared because who 
as a five foot two, 120 pound female wants to hear a knock on their door at two in the morning. Out in the woods, out in the bush. I may remind you that it was four hours away from any kind of civilization whatsoever. Literally, this town consisted of the Hot Springs campground, the lodge across the street, and the highway maintenance camp. So I kind of took a while to get out of bed. And I peeked out my window to see who was going there. And I saw it was these men. And I was like, oh, I don't. I don't want to answer the door, but I don't want to make any assumptions about their intentions because, you know, I am on call here. I'm supposed to respond to emergencies. So I opened the door and these two men are drunk as fuck. They are slurring every single word. I literally cannot understand a word they're saying. And I'm trying to pry and, and ask questions about what's going on. And I, I really can't hear what they're saying or understand a word. And then I notice that they have blood on their shirts. And then one of them just blurts out, there's somebody running around stabbing everybody. <laughs> and like the blood in my face just went down into my gut and I immediately got so scared and they just took off. There was a car waiting behind them and there was three men in the car waiting for them and they just jumped in the car and they took off. So now I'm standing outside of my trailer. It's pitch black outside and I'm sitting here thinking that someone is running around in the woods trying to kill people. And I'm thinking, I don't know how many people are dead. I don't know where this person is. I don't know what's going on. So there was no phone, like I said. So I couldn't call the ranger. The ranger was um, living in a cabin about 500 meters away. And so I pick up my walkie-talkie. And I'm like, <laughs> Paul. Paul, no answer. I keep trying to get him on the radio. No answer. So I'm like, I've got to run across this park and go to the ranger's cabin and tell him what happened. That's my only option here. I might be saving lives while risking, your own. While risking my own. So I literally make a mad dash across this park. And the whole time I'm like, I'm feeling eyes staring at me in the bushes. <laughs> I'm listening to every little sound that I can hear apart from the sound of my feet on the gravel. And I knock on the ranger's door. I finally get to him. And I just tell him someone came to my door and said someone's running around stabbing everybody. And he was like, come in. Very seriously. He was, he was from Germany. He was very serious. And he asked me more information about what happened. I just told him everything I knew. And I mentioned that the guys had blood on their shirts. And so he picks up the phone. He's the only person on this whole plot of land that actually has a landline. And he calls the police. And because the nearest jurisdiction was Fort Nelson, which was four hours south, they were like, okay, we'll be there in four hours. And I was like, 
what? <laughs> There's a murderer in the bushes. <laughs> Can't you send someone from Watson Lake? Watson Lake, Yukon was only two hours north, but different jurisdiction. So anyway, so Paul walks me back to my trailer with his shotgun and says, don't let anybody in. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> so I have the most restless sleep of my life. I'm tossing and turning, thinking about this man in the bushes that is wielding a knife, that is crazed, covered in blood because he's stabbed people. And he's stalking my trailer right this moment. So I really could not sleep. And I kind of drifted off into like a very light sleep. And I think it was about five in the morning. I'm kind of asleep. And all of a sudden my trailer starts to rock back and forth. <laughs> and immediately my gut just sinks again. And I'm like, the murderer is here. He's trying to break in. He's trying to break into my trailer. Like I'm gonna die. I have no, like no way of getting out of this. There's no one around. There's literally nothing I can do at this point. And I'm so fucking scared. I've never been more scared in my life. And then all of a sudden I hear this sound. <sighs> and I'm like, what the fuck was that? And something about the sound was like, that's not a human. <laughs> So I peek out the window of my trailer and I see that a bison is scratching his fucking back on my trailer and rocking it back and forth. Amazing. Yeah, this this area of the Alaska Highway, they had reintroduced like 300 bison. So literally nice. I would go drive into town and then maybe stop for like an hour or two on the highway because they'd just be sleeping on the highway. It was really annoying. Well, it's a nice warm time. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, an hour later at six in the morning, because the police were called at two in the morning, the police get there. And it, the site, Liard River, becomes literally CSI Liard River. Like there's the whole hot springs is taped off. <laughs> and I'm like, what the fuck's going on? And they're like, we can't tell you anything. <laughs> And I'm like, I'll, I'll just do my job then. I'm going around raking campsites. As I'm raking campsites, I'm pulling blood-soaked towels and blood-soaked T-shirts out of, like, the bushes and out of fire pits. And I'm like, what the fuck is happening? So I obviously, like, see them and I leave them and I, I, I notify the police. Turns out <laughs> that at, late at night at the hot springs, there was these two groups of people and they were drinking very, very drunk and hot water and alcohol does not mix well. So this one guy starts playing his music really loud and the other guy in, in the other group tells him to turn off his music and the guy playing the music gets really angry and stabs him and then jumps into his car with his buddies and takes off down the Alaska highway. But not before stopping at my trailer to report the crime. Because in their logic, if they report the crime, they did not do the crime. So the people that came to my door were the ones who committed the crime. So they were playing like almost a red herring on you. Yeah. Saying like, oh, there's, there's a dangerous man out there. And 
trying to throw the heat off them, the yeah. trail off them. Yeah. Well, they got caught. Oh, good. Yeah. They got caught. And I, the police actually intercepted them as they were driving south on the Alaska Highway. They were driving north and they intercepted them. And because the ranger had their uh, all their information, like their car license plate, because they had to register for camping and everything. Right. They'd actually ditched their tent at the side of the road. And the guy who got stabbed survived, thankfully. And yeah, that is just one of many stories that I have experienced in the forest. <laughs> so out of a one out of five or one to five, what would you rate that as? Ryan. I would say from Nikki's perspective, a five. A hundred percent. But I don't know about just translation to that, but I think like three and a half, I'd say. That's fair. The giggling was making it less terrifying. <laughs> and the bison definitely the made bison it less was just like a curveball yeah. from left field. Yeah. When you start talking with the grunting, like, what? <laughs> what is going on? And then it's like, it's not human. Like, is this a Sasquatch story? What's going on here? Uh, I was imagining myself in her shoes. Terrifying. Feeling it. Mm-hmm. Out in the dark. And- I don't think you can fully understand how terrifying it was because you are not a five foot two female. Oh, no. <laughs> we can at least kind of try to empathize. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What would that feel like when yeah. you're that small and that, like, scared remote, of everything? Isolated. Yeah. As we talked about in one of the previous episodes, isolated young women are not in a safe situation, mostly, when out in the wilderness. But uh, I liked it. I've actually heard you tell that story to me before on one of our Instagram live sessions. Mm-hmm. It's a really, really cool story. I always, the, the punchline of the buffalo always just breaks the, <laughs> the atmosphere for me. And I'm just like, oh, really? Was it a buffalo that's cut him then? I thought that was the punchline for second yeah well there was a real crime but that really was the punchline yeah yeah, yeah. just all this build up to the fucking bison being yeah. a dick they are they yeah. are the heaviest animal in north america the only thing bigger than them is a moose just by height yeah it's insane massive animals you don't realize how big they are until you actually yeah. like seeing them because you see like the farmed ones they're pretty small yeah you go out onto the prairie you see actual like bison they're freaking huge. I've been to Yellowstone. I've been right, right. Those places before. Now you gotta go to the Yard River. Why? People yeah. just get stabbed in hot springs. A lot drive of weird lot stuff of <laughs> happened there. Huh. Very yeah, cool. It's good. Well, I've got a story. Um, we've got a lot of stories. I want to tell like the legend of Camp Mud at, in this episode, but I kind of feel like the axe has mm. to come up. The axe was like the first really scary thing that happened to me growing up. Um, to this day, it leaves me very baffled. And I've used it to my advantage on many occasions to scare a lot of kids. It's probably one of my more dependable scary stories, but especially because it's a lot shorter than the legend of Camp Mud, which is more of a saga than anything else. But have you ever heard the story, Ryan? Have I ever told you the act story? I don't think so. Okay. But I'll, I'll we'll find out. Yeah, when you start smiling yeah. or something, you'll be like, okay. I oh, this. yeah. This is, yeah. yeah. So, I had to have been older than 17. 
uh, gotten a summer job at a pro hardware in my hometown of Southampton run by uh, Mike and Gene. Great couple. Uh, hard bosses, but they were a good boss. They were both good bosses. And I, at that point, kind of earned Mike's respect on being able to handle the tools and fix the bikes that would come into the back station and stuff. And once in a while, we just get like random people like, can you sharpen hockey skates? No, sorry, that's not our tasks here. Or they come in, they want us to cut keys. So they'd, like, we could do that with machines for it. Or they would want like special order stuff. And so they'd come through the back of the store and deal with me mostly. Um, more as the cash registers up the front, of course, the storefront. But uh, this one day, I think it was like, I would like to say like August, mid-August. My parents were away for like a week week and a half with my sister they were out in Ottawa I believe visiting my mom's family and I was left alone in the house to my own devices and so as every teenage boy in our generation did I just sat back and ate a lot of craft dinner and watched a lot of movies what else are you living the dream man that's the that was the life I expected to live the rest of my life like this is brilliant just live off KD and watch Rambo it's great so just near closing this guy shows up must have been a cottager or something in Southampton. I never seen him before in my life. And he goes, "Hey, I'm looking for someone that can sharpen an axe." And Mike, the owner, goes, "We don't do that here, but the young guy likes to play with axes out here, so he could probably help you sharpen up and fix it up for you." So the guy brings it over. It's this old, looks like a two and a half pound bush axe, boys axe, boys axe kind of length of handle, two and a half pound head. Kind of a Michigan pattern, so like that classic kind of rounded toe and heel, but not overly sharp and not like way exaggerated. Yeah. Um, painting a good picture for you. I hope. It was a Plumax, P L uh, P L U M B, Plum. Yeah. Uh, company from like the 1920s or something. But he's uh, like, "Yeah, I'm just looking for it to get sharpened and maybe change the axe handle." And I was like, looking the handle over, like, "No, oh, it's just need some oil. Looks like it's really good. It was nicely dark, like almost like cherry dark color." But it was hickory. Okay, yeah, I can do this. Probably give me about two hours of work in total. Uh, yeah, we can figure out like a price. He goes, well, how much? I'm like, oh, I don't know, 20 bucks. I don't know what it is worth to sharpen an oil and axe handle. So, yeah, 20 bucks. Yeah, sure. Let's just go 20. All right, I'll be back tomorrow. I was like, perfect. I go home, take it in to the house with me. And the, kind of to understand the landscape of the house, like the, 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 the floor plan. There's, when you come through the side door of the house, there's steps on your left going up into the kitchen, and then steps going straight down in front of you going to the basement. And on the other side of a little, like, half wall, there's stairs that go back upstairs through the front door, up into the living room, and into the kitchen. And then there's a hallway between the kitchen and the kit, uh, the, between the kitchen and the living room that goes down to the bedrooms. So the downstairs, like, our big, like, family room. Uh, my dad's kind of Danny at a bar down there and stuff. And then his bedroom, my mom and dad's bedroom at the back of the house in the basement or the lower half of the house. Upstairs where me and my sister lived and then back behind the kitchen. Perfect place again for a teenage boy, right near the kitchen and where there's a TV in the living room. Perfect. Get home and I put the axe right on the steps leading up into the kitchen. Just set it on there and I go straight downstairs, turn on the TV start flipping through the ch channels and getting an idea of what's going to be on. And I go to the, uh, the TV station. That's like a channel 12 where you start seeing like all the feed of what's going to be on. This is before satellite television was really getting big where I lived. So we had just cable, you know, that cable channel where you get to see all the movies. I'm like, Oh, Rambo part one is coming out. This is awesome. 
And I was like, well, actually, no. I was watching other things. I was like, ah, this is not working. I popped in Rambo First, uh, First Blood uh, in the DVD player because my uncle got me the whole collection. And my birthday has been a couple weeks before. So I'm sitting back and I'm watching Rambo First Blood. And I feel hungry. So I'm going to make some KD. Go up the, uh, the, the stairs to the side door. Go up to the kitchen. Axe isn't there. Not really noticed that because I wasn't with the theme of the axe. Walk into the kitchen and it's sitting on the counter. But I know I never went to the kitchen. I went straight downstairs. Like I look back on the steps and there's my shoes and there's my bag from work. All right there on the steps, right in the pile, as they always were, because I'm a slob. Am now, was then. Accent there, accent on the counter in the kitchen. Like, I know I didn't go in the kitchen. So I just, you know, as anyone would be like, hello? No response. Like, walk down the hall. It's still daylight out. Like, it's only like 7.30 in August. Like, it's still light out. Walk around, check the living room. No one's there. Check the bedrooms. No one's there. All right. Come back. Start boiling water, make some pasta, add the craft dinner mix, go back downstairs, start the movie up again. And while I'm down there, I can hear the cats. We got these two cats, Tux, who is a very similar to our current cat, Oreo, large and in charge, black and white cat, tuxedo cat. Her brother, Indy, was my cat. And they like to chase each other and just fool around and goof around like all cats do in there cats and uh can you hear them like man they're really loud tonight just running all upstairs eating my crap dinner watching rambo i just want to be messed around with and all that kind of stuff i just want to be left home looking for a place to eat uh, the cops are being named them and all that stuff eventually the pasta's done so i just take the pot back up because again i'm a teenage boy i didn't even use a bowl just ate it right out of the pot go back upstairs decide to make some popcorn because i'm also chubby and the accent there it's not on the counter anymore it's on the steps like where it was supposed to be earlier but like almost like it was sliding down the steps like it wasn't set there it was like riding the steps and just kind of stopped kind of like anything else sliding down the steps like a broom that slipped off the, the railing or something and i was like well you know what maybe i should work on this axe anyway i'm getting paid 20 bucks <clears throat> so i take the axe out to the shed Sharpen the edge on it, put it in the vise, and just run a file along the edge until it's nicely refined. And then, it was pretty gnarled up. It was pretty beaten up. It took about, I don't know, 15, maybe 20 minutes of filing. And uh, took a stone to it for a while, polished up the edge, got it pretty clean. And didn't know anything about sanding it or anything like that or getting into a mirror polish. Just put an edge on it because that's all I really knew. I was only 16. Oiled the handle uh, with some linseed oil that my dad had. And then I just left it out there. In the vice, like right where it was, handle sticking straight up so the oil runs down the wood instead of dripping off onto the floor. Went back inside, finished making popcorn because I went upstairs, saw the axe the way it was, never made the popcorn. Go back, finish Rambo part one. I've been hearing the cats run around upstairs again. So drive me nuts how damn loud they are. Go upstairs, put the popcorn bowl away. And the axe on the floor in the kitchen. No, no, I. This is in the shed. Like behind the house, not attached to our house, not a garage. It's a shed on its own. It's a standing structure. It's individual structure. There's no way it could come in. So I check all the doors. They're all locked. 
check the windows. They're all locked. I'm thinking that one of my buddies is aware that I'm home alone and he's trying to mess with me. Because it's like day two or three of me being home alone. Perfect time to mess with your buddy. It's summer vacation. Half my friends wouldn't have summer jobs because their parents worked at the power plant. Therefore, they're all upper middle class kids that didn't need to go do work. They could just party and have fun and stuff. I worked. So I'm now thinking of friends messing with me. So I pick up the axe, walking around the house with it, going to see if I can scare them. Can't find anybody. I checked the closets, checked under my sister's bed. My bed was practically right on the floor, so there was no reason to check there. Checked behind doors. And I realized, you know, we got two sets of stairs. Maybe they're running like, down the stairs and hiding in the basement while I'm going up the stairs. Kind of thing. They're just toying with me. So I run down the one set of stairs trying to catch them going up the other set of stairs. No one's there. can hear nothing. Axe in my hand. Okay. This is weird. Go back upstairs, put it back on the counter in the kitchen. Look around and like, okay. And I was thinking it was like either my buddy Jesse or my buddy Jared. I'm like, hey, guys, like, if you're trying to mess with me, this is not a good time. Like, I'm amped up now. I got an axe. Let's just all right, you scared me. Got it? We're done. No noise. They would be hiding behind a door or something at this point trying to jump out of me. I can't find them. I'm trying to let them just do it so we can get it. just get the damn thing over with. It's almost 10 o'clock now. Let's just get this done. Nothing. Can't find them. I go back downstairs. Now I'm a little too freaked out. So I text my brother. Or I'm not texting. I go on MSN Messenger on the computer. <laughs> wow, this is dating me. Uh, go on Messenger and message my brother. I'm like, hey, so like, do you know if anyone's like home? He's like, no, he lives in Peterborough. My brother at the time he lived in Peterborough. Now he lives down towards Toronto. And uh, he's like, no, mom and dad, your mom and my and our dad are with Lauren and Tom in like Ottawa. Why? What's going on? I'm like. Someone's messing, they're putting an axe in different places, and, like, I I know that it's not me because I just put it down somewhere else. And I come back, like, half an hour later, and it's been moved. It's like, where? Like, like, onto the stairs or onto the floor or up on a counter. I put it in the shed earlier, and, like, all the doors are locked, and it's in the kitchen again. He's like, that's really weird. Yeah, I don't know what to do about all this. He's like, it's almost like it's haunted or something, or, like, it's doing it itself, like, don't talk like that. I don't need that right now, man. You're freaking me out now. He's like, no, no, like I'm not joking with you. It sounds like something's going on there that like, if there's no one in the house, like Occam's razor kind of thing, dude. Yeah, I just don't want to think like that. He's like, well, I don't call that. See if his buddies like can come by and check the house for you. Because my father's a police officer. Call dad. Tell him what's going on. He laughs and hangs up. Because he thinks I'm just trying to I'm Scared kid at home alone for the first time, which I wasn't. This is like the fourth or fifth time that summer alone that they left me alone for a few days like that. And it wasn't my first summer alone like that. So I'm not sure what he was getting in his head. Like, okay, I was just being a dumb kid trying to beg me to come home and protect him from ghosts and goblins. Like, no, there's like, I'm not sure if a, so I'm, I just want you to call one of your buddies to go over and check out the house and make sure everything's okay. Hangs up. All right. Text, uh, go back on Messenger, tell my brother, well, dad laughed and hung up on me. He goes, yeah, I was expecting that. That's dad. Yep. Well, 
kind of walked around the house. Nothing's going on. I'm going to go back and start watching a movie again. He goes, okay, well, leave Messenger open in case something weird is going on. Yeah, all right. Go back, start Rambo Part 2. Because, I mean, I've already started the first one. Might as well end it with the second one. And I can hear the cats running around upstairs again. So ramped up about. Like, is there someone up there? And they're like running around, like maybe they know where they are. Thinking about all that stuff. And I realize I've been petting my cat, Indy, this whole time. And I look over and there's a sister sitting right beside him. Like, uh and that's when I actually got scared. Like genuinely scared. Like, what has been moving around upstairs? And I'm thinking like it could be something freaky like a goblin or a ghoul or something, but I'm also like thinking it could be a raccoon or something got in the damn house. Like his axe get, keeps getting being brought back in. What, what the hell's going on? Maybe it was a door that I just don't know about this open. So now I'm kind of freaking out because I can hear it like running towards the back set of stairs that go to the front door. The, the ones behind the half wall where I'm sitting on the couch facing away from the half wall. So I stand up and I just yell real loud, hey, we got guns in this house. We did. I'm not going to deny that. My father's a police officer. We also are both. It's a house of hunters. There's firearms. So I just say that. I'm not going to go grab a gun like load ammo or thing. My dad would kill me. But I'm just saying that out loud so they can know that I'll mess you up, man. Don't come down these stairs. And I hear like two more steps being hit. And I don't know what to do, so I run to my dad's bar. He used to play a lot of baseball. I grab his old aluminum bat, and I go running for the stairs, going up to the kitchen, trying to get behind them. Kind of like that. my theory of my buddy was running down the one set while I was running up them kind of thing. Same thing. I'm going to try and catch them this time. And if this is someone that's trying to hurt me or something, I'm going to bonk them on the head. It's one of my buddies going to threaten to kill them and just beat the shit out of them kind of thing. Get up there. Nobody, but there's an axe on the steps again. So now I'm really freaked out because, like, I double check all the doors now, make sure they're like triple locked in any way possible, and I don't know what to do. I don't like. I'm completely at at a, at wit's end. I don't know what to do in this situation. The cats are freaked out now. This axe keeps showing up all over the house in different places where I hear like cats running when there's no cats there. I, I don't know what's happening. My brother is still on messenger and he's into like the, all the like occulty stuff. He was into Aleister Crowley and he was into all the, like the, the Wicca and all that kind of stuff. The Wicca. He was into Wicca <laughs> and all that like weird, like new agey to occult kind of subject matters. Like, dude, like, this is what's happening right now. I don't know if someone's messing with me or if this is legit. What do I do? And he's like, have you found anybody? Like, I've checked every room in the house piece by piece, listening for foot movement when I get from one room to another kind of thing. Nothing. We have carpeted floors, but we also have pretty creaky stairs and stuff. Like, it's pretty clear someone's trying to move around. He's like, okay. Could it be the axe? Dude, don't talk like that. Let's not do this. I don't I don't know what to do with that. He's like, well, don't want to sneak up on you. Is <laughs> that the best? I'm like, he's like, where is it? I'm like, I left it on those stairs because I didn't know what's going on. He's like, can you see it? No. Can you hear it? 
it was around there. You're like two more steps on on the stairs. I'll create the hair to snap on my arms. So, so, okay, I am going to go lock myself in my bedroom and I'm going to bring the phone with me. Can you call me? And he's like, yeah, grab some salt in the kitchen on your way there. So I run up the side stairs that go back up to the kitchen from where I first came into the house, run in, grab a salt shaker, run into my bedroom. And he rings like literally 30 seconds after I sit on my bed. And the two cats at this point have come upstairs and are hiding under my bed. And their tails are fluffed out and they're just shaking under mm. the bed. Because uh, it's like only three inches off the floor. Like they wedged their fat butts in there and they're just shaking. I can feel it against the, floor, the mattress. Jason calls like 30 seconds after I close the door. He goes, okay, lock the door. What? He goes, lock the door and put salt on the door uh, floorboard. Why? He goes, Evil spirits can't cross salt. Dude, you just learned that from supernatural. <laughs> this is not this is not real. He says, just do it. I'm like, okay, fine. So I poured the salt. I have no idea if that helped at all. Or if it was just the locked door or what. But I could hear like thump thump. Thump 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 thump. Something coming back up the stairs. And then across the hall. And then just stops. And I feel like, is it going to crash the door? Is it going to, is it going to like just start chopping through? Is it going to be like Jack Nicholson within the shining at the other side? Here's Johnny. Any of that? I don't know what's happening. I am so terrified. And my brother's on the phone still. And I hear boop, boop. And I look down, battery's almost dead. Because like, we've been on for like, 15 minutes at this point and I don't think I had it on the charger. I think I had been had, had it been sitting on the couch with me this whole time uh, downstairs for like three days making calls to Jesse and Jared and Adrian and all my other buddies. And so he's like, what's going on? I was like, the battery's dying and I think it's just outside the door. He goes, do not leave your room. And at this point it's like 2.30 in the morning and I am wide awake. I am so scared. And the battery dies like about a minute or two later. And I just sit in there with a dead phone, an aluminum baseball bat, and two scared as shit cats. And I can hear this thing literally lean against the door. Like, not heavy, just like something being leaned against the door. And you can look under the door and there's no feet. Like, there's no shadow of feet. There's nothing of a person. But I can hear it just tap against the door. And I sat there until 6 in the morning. Until I was just so exhausted from staring at that door. I just passed out, I guess. Alarm went off. I slept through it. I wake up. Uh, and I... Phone's dead. Wake up at, like, noon. I'm supposed to be at work at 8. I am so in trouble. I know I am. I've been. I've only been late once before. Mike had made it very clear. If I'm late again, I'm fired. So I'm racing through the house. I'm not even thinking about what happened in the night. Like you know, like when scary shit happens in the dark, and then the next morning is you have to pretend it's not real. Mm-hmm. It's almost like maybe that was just part of a dream. So you just don't remember it very well. So I'm running around the house trying to find like my work shoes. Got to find a clean work shirt to put on for Pro Hardware, and get this and this and this. Grab this. And I start running out the door. I'm like, crap, that guy, 
with the axe. I gotta find the stupid axe. Was it against? I go back up, not against my door. But like, there's a couple of scuffs on the floor, like on the hardwood floor going into the hallway that you can see where something had happened. Something got dragged there. So I'm looking around, looking around, all upstairs, can't find it. Go out to the shed first because I'm thinking maybe this was all just like a weird hallucination. <laughs> so maybe there's radon in our house and I'm just having a horrible like po- uh, nuclear poison trip. Go out to the shed, not in there. Come back in. I don't know what to think. So I go back down the stairs, remembering that I left my something downstairs that I need to grab, maybe my keys or something. And there's the axe sitting in my chair, like the lazy boy part of the couch. Axe head leaning against the backrest and the handle pommel on the seat as if it was sitting there watching the movie. And I look back and it's just like the play screen for Rambo Part 2 on the screen like what the fuck and I just grab that axe like it's radioactive or poisonous or something like it's gonna bite me and I just run to work I don't even want to know what my neighbor saw this chubby 16 year old long haired kid running in a black t-shirt with like jegging not jeggings what they call jorts (laughs) jorts fucking jean shorts Jean shorts. I ruined the uh, the uh, the atmosphere that I know, but jean shorts running across the field, running for his life, holding an axe. I'm amazed the cops didn't get called on me. Race all the way to Pro Hardware. Like a, usually a 30 minute walk, I did it in 15, and I bust through the back door. And Gene, his wife, the the other owners, like you got better go upstairs to uh, Mike's having lunch. You better go up there and apologize. He's on the he's on the war path for you. I put all my stuff down, run upstairs. I'm like, Mike, I'm so sorry. He goes, I don't care where the hell are have you been. If you're into drinking and partying, I don't need a kid like you. Like, dude, I don't even drink. I've never smoked weed in my life. <clears throat> that kind of movement sounds. Mm-hmm. For those of you that can't hear this, there's stuff moving above us right now. Now, it's probably our buddy Ben or his dog, but perfect atmosphere now right i did not like that because <laughs> it's behind nikki so she just jumped like three inches so mike's basically going up one side and down the other of me and chewing me out blaming me for a bunch of problems and stuff and i'm just taking it taking it taking it letting him just yell because it's like if i just stay still he may forget to fire me and he's like and that guy was calling about his axe like come on you're being completely unprofessional here it's your last chance. I, if you do one thing today, you can't. Yes, sir. Go downstairs. Classmate of mine says, like, kindergarten Jordan's like, you were in so much trouble, dude. You know, right? He goes, you got to, like, I don't know what happened to you last night, but just make sure you get to work on time. You can show up in the bag, probably, and he'd be less angry than you not being here at all. I'm like, yeah, you're right. Work all day. Kind of forget about the acts altogether because I'm you know, four or five hours late to work, <laughs> trying to stay in good light for the rest of the day. We close at six. And at like 5.56, there's a knock at the door because we would lock the back door first so we can close the shop up to the front, lock that while after bringing everything in from the front displays, and then we all go out the back door, lock it behind us, and that's how we get out of the store. For any of, who, any of you who are trying to case the pro hardware in Southampton, that's how we close the shop. Not much in there to steal. It's a great little mom and pop store, so please don't do it. I love those folks. They got great stuff in there for you to buy. Not much that you'd want to just outright rob, so don't do that. 
But anyways, six uh, five fifty eight. We hear a knock at the or nine uh, five fifty six or something like four minutes before closing, knocking at the glass door at the back, and it's the dude. And I immediately recognize, like, oh crap, right the axe. And I go back into the little workshop area where I put all where we put all of our personal belongings, and I grab the axe and I unlock the door and I walk out. Or no, he comes in and he's like, yeah, you got the axe. And I was like, yep. And I'm just like handing it to him, like with two fingers on the pommel of the axe handle. It's like, yeah, got to finish for you last night. Well, what do I owe you? You put so much work. I don't think this is like, this is worth a lot more than 20 bucks. I'm like, I just don't want to ever see that axe again. And his face kind of goes like slack for a second. And he starts to, he just kind of like politely nods and starts to walk for the door. And just before he closes the door behind, he kind of pauses and looks back and he goes, so it did it to you too, huh? And that's my story. And it's 100% true. I wish it wasn't. It, to this day, I can't explain what I went through. Um, I've heard stories of, like, cursed objects and all those theories. I've also heard that it could have just been a weird trip off the craft dinner of spoiled or something. <laughs> I don't know what happened that night. But to this day, like, I avoid plum axes. I don't know why. <laughs> But I avoid plum axes. It's just this weird paranoia I've got about them. They're beautiful blades. They're great tools. But that axe just left me messed a lot up for a long while. And I use that story to my advantage when I'm telling it to kids and stuff. Sometimes we'll have like the we did stuff with the uh, Canadian Rangers, and they brought a youth group out with them from uh, I believe it was like the Barry Friendship Center, partnered with the Midland Friendship Center or something. A bunch of youth came out, and I told that story around the fire. And then they all went into a mod tent, like those big modular tents from the army surplus from the army that the army rangers had set up for them. And the the dads have been telling, yeah, we're expecting them to try and sneak out and party and stuff. They're only like twelve years old, but you know what they're gonna get up to out here. I'm like, yeah, I got a solution for that. There's only one door, so I just found a stump and just drove an axe into the stump right in front of the doorway after they all went to sleep. And sure enough, we all sat by the fire, me and two or three of the dads, smoking some cigarettes, having a chat, telling some other funnier stories. And sure enough, you hear the tent flap open, kid take two steps out, gasp, and go two steps back in and close the tent flap and didn't come out. I love using that story to freak kids out. Because then you just got to show them an axe and they just jump and run. Yeah. Especially if you have, like, if it was me telling the story, then, like, you went out into the woods and come back at the end of the story like, hey, I found this axe out in the woods. I just <laughs> jump up and scream like, no, no, and take off running. Always makes them scream. Always makes them scream. <laughs> but yeah, it actually happened. I, I still don't know what was going on that night. I still don't know if a friend was messing with me or not. I have no idea. But the way the guy reacted, just uncomfortable. I've heard that story like three times now, and I'm still... So scared and right know, now. And you can verify, I have not changed the story no, one bit. It's not the at exact all. same story every time. Like I might forget parts and then remember them, but I don't change the story because it's like it happened and it left like my my dad laughs at me every time it's brought up. He loves to torment me about things that freak me out. Like he'll bring up the fact that I've had war with raccoons for like seventeen years now. Anytime he gets a chance, he'll say just say Rocky Raccoon. Just get me to glare at him. Or he'll like Point of accident. Was that the one that tried to chase you? <laughs> uh, 
dads are not the most sympathetic person to contact when you're in a scary situation. Life-threatening, yes. Car crash and stuff, yes. But if you're scared of something, they will use that to their advantage and torment you. I'm stressed. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so out of one out of five, or one to five, what would you call that? That was a good, like, 4.75. Yeah? Yeah. Awesome. Just, like, the atmosphere and just the pacing and everything. Because I'm like, what is it? What is it the whole time? I'm just like, what the hell is going on? Cool. The jeggings ruin the atmosphere. Probably, <laughs> I probably, I probably, I probably it was good. We, we jumped back into it, though. It was, yeah. We had a laugh. I really pictured <laughs> you in jeggings. <laughs> One slip up of words. It always gets me. Earlier when I was trying to say, like, 67, we were out there anyways. I'm not going to get into that on the podcast. Because it went from a... Uh, to, I bet if I had not, if I had said George like I was trying to, it got straight to a 4.8. George makes me laugh too, though. It does because it makes you think of like Kevin Smith and like Silent Bob and stuff. Yeah. No, it's just George's trench coat. That was my look until I was 20. I hate to admit. That was my look. I was trying to go for the Silent Bob look because I thought he was like Oh, my God. I don't know what it was. Backwards ball cap. Usually a black one, though, because I couldn't find a white one that didn't look dorky. But, yeah, I I was trying to strive to be the Silent Bob and Jay connected, so I would just yell and cuss and be vulgar and dress like Silent Bob. Hold a cigarette out and try to, like, use the force. (laughs) (laughs) But, yeah, that's my story. Well done. Thank you. So... Nikki has some has a story for us, but to preface the story, it's about a very special place to all of us here at Canadian Bushcraft, uh, Camp Mud. Camp Mud is infamous. Camp Mud is actually kind of world-renowned to a lot of people. There's people from the UK, Sweden, Germany have all been to the infamous Camp Mud, the secret of Camp Mud. And Camp Mud has a legacy of being pretty damn spooky. It's a pretty weird place at night it's a really weird place especially in the fall coming into october november when the leaves have all fallen down the place just gets kind of like this eerie atmosphere to it and there's a lot of stories in the in the community here where camp mud is of why that area is so spooky at night people have seen things people have heard things people have experienced a lot of different things been allegedly chased by things through the woods and all that and uh, Nikki has her own experience from the first, second time or first time you were to Camp Mud? Like third. I really? Think, yeah. At that point? Yeah. Because that was before the, the anniversary party and that was before the uh, the mushroom Can workshop. Victoria? Yes. Yes. That actually, that same like late summer, early fall, mm-hmm. you'd come up with Victoria for a day. Yeah, you're right. Mm-hmm. And so I'd say maybe your second or third time? Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> what happened? Haha. <laughs> <laughs> so spooky. Um, so we were, well, I used to work for the Prime Project. I kind of still do. And right. we hire Caleb every year. Hi, Andrew. <laughs> he doesn't listen to this No, crap. he doesn't. <laughs> and we hire Caleb every year to um, train our staff on all things bushcraft. So we were... <laughs> I like how you said that, bush. Crap. I know. <laughs> <laughs> We've been doing a lot of walking impressions. And after, like, Nikki is starting to pick up on She's just like, bushcraft. It's crazy. Wow. Anyways. No, I was I was laughing at a joke I was making in my head also. Okay. Yeah. So <laughs> So all things bushcraft. All things bushcraft. Uh, I see what the joke was. And sick, sick puppy. 
We were making, we were pounding black ash for Ooh, baskets. Yeah. We were uh, making the dugout canoe. Yes. And we were doing some cultural awareness training and yeah. um, making cedar fans. That was fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. spilling the cedar fans. And I have heard lots of stories about Camp Mud before, um, namely the time Victoria and I visited you. And I was like, Caleb, tell me scary stories. Because <laughs> I love scary stories. That's why we have you. Yeah. <laughs> and I think it was the third night. Yes. Yeah. I was in my tent with my tent buddy, Lucas. Hi, Lucas. Hi, he Lucas. doesn't listen to this either. He probably doesn't. I'm going to tell him to, though. <laughs> and we were trying to fall asleep, and I heard like a whispering, and it sounded like around the tent and it sounded like it was going around and around the tent really slowly. And so him and I just <coughs> laid awake looking at this, what do you call the top of the tent? A ceiling? The apex, ceiling, <laughs> the yeah, apex ceiling. of the tent going, what the hell is that? What's going on? Who's whispering? And Lucas is like, there are two people at the fire. I think it's like Jake and Christina. And then we're just sitting there listening to this whispering for quite some time. And I was like, okay, I'm so scared to move, but I'm going to look out the tent flap and try to match the whispering with the voices at the campfire. So I look, I peek out the tent and I watch Christina's mouth and it's not matching up to the whispering. And I look at Jake's mouth and it's not matching up to the whispering. I can actually hear both of them talking. Mm -hmm. And so I look at everybody's tent and try to see like, okay, uh, Lee's in her tent. Is it coming from over there? Yeah. Is it coming from here? Roberta's in her tent. Um, and then I was like, no, this whispering is not coming from anybody that's here. And so we just laid there like freaking the fuck out. I'm, I mean, we, I say we, <laughs> I was freaking the fuck out. Lucas was like, it's fine. <laughs> um, but he still, he admits that it was it scary. Was yeah, yeah. It was scary. And so this whispering was not in a language I could understand. And it was very, um, I could hear the inflection of the voice. I could hear uh, everything. I just couldn't understand what this person or thing was saying. And it just kept surrounding the tent and going around and around. And then when Caleb pulled on, pulled in on his ATV, it stopped. And I was like, okay, cool. Right, because I went home to take care of the dog. You did. Yeah, yeah. And you came back and pulled in. The whispering was gone. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, okay, that's that's scary. And I think the next day was the day with the thing up the hill. Yes. And I, the I think, last night. Yeah, the last night. So I, I, I don't remember <coughs> what I was doing, but I could have been in my tent or I could have been outside peeing. Um, you were definitely in the tent. I was in the tent. Caleb says I'm in the tent. I was in the tent. <laughs> well, I just, I just remember from what I was witnessing. Okay. So Cool. So I'm in my tent trying to get to sleep and I hear a voice up the hill and I can't, it sounds like a woman's voice and it also sounds kind of like a child. And then I'm going through my brain trying to figure out, okay, it's not Roberta's voice. It's not Lee's voice. It's not Jake's voice. Lucas is right beside me. Um, I really, Christina I don't. Had gone to bed Christina had gone to bed and Christina and everybody else there doesn't sound like a child. No. You maybe. <laughs> Yeah, it could have been me. <laughs> and so I was like, okay, that's weird. And I fell asleep. And in the morning, I get out of my tent. 
and Caleb like rises like a pharaoh. <laughs> a pharaoh. <laughs> from, from my hammock. <laughs> a pharaoh in his hammock. I love this description. And just like looks at me deadpan in the eyes and just says, you hear that child's voice up the hill last night? And I was like, yep. And he was just like, yep. And there was like a a beautiful understanding in that moment between mm-hmm. both of us of like, okay, that was not a human. <laughs> Ish. Cool, cool, cool. <laughs> yeah. yeah. There's yeah. so to paint a picture for everybody who's never been to Camp Mud, uh the the main camp is on the flatlands, like uh the bottomlands between a tall ridge drumlin and a swamp. And we're surrounded by just more wetland and deeper forests of hemlock and ash and maple. And the top of the ridge, there's a trail. And that trail we used to have as the main trail into the camp. And then about seven years ago, we moved to the bottom of the ridge just to have better weather, uh, better conditions, more firewood access, less people getting cold at night, uh, better better shelter. Uh, and that trail on the ridge to this day is my least favorite place to walk at night. doesn't matter what time of year. doesn't matter if I have friends with me or if I'm on my own or if I'm on an ATV. Um, it's just, it, it, on the other side of that trail, on the opposite side from where the camp is, is the most horrifying vibes I've ever felt anywhere I've been in the world. Um, it, if you're standing like with your back facing that trail towards a fire on the top of the ridge where the old fire pit is, you are the one that is constantly checking your back, not the people that are facing the swamp, not the people that are facing the deep woods. It's the one whose back is facing that trail who keeps always checking over their shoulder. And I've noticed it for four or five years before we finally moved everybody to the bottom of the hill. The whole camp was moved. And that was one of the reasons we moved was it was just everybody was always kind of uncomfortable up there. Things were just spooky up there. And we've had people come into the camp walking that trail at like 10 o'clock 11 o'clock at night and they are like ghost white pale from what they were hearing and experiences they walk and it's only like 100 meters down that trail 200 meters down that trail to get to the old camp and they would come in and they would just be pale from everything (laughs) it's like they walked through an entire scene of the exorcist in 100 meters (laughs) just they look so uncomfortable um way back way back 2011 when my wife and I first started dating, um, she walked that trail at around 1130 at night to come in and join everybody else. And she came and she goes, was everybody here? I said, yeah. She goes, are you messing with me? Like, no, we've all been here. I, I'm not trying to mess with you. I've got no interest in doing that. She goes, okay, because about halfway down this trail, I heard somebody down in that ravine between that the top of the ridge and the next ridge over screaming my name in this like otherworldly scream. And I'm like, yeah. And she goes, did anybody in here hear that? I'm like, nope, just you. Cause it was in your head. It was all around you and not where we are. And we've had people come in who were watching things, follow them that were tall bipedal things with blue glowing eyes in the dark, following them in. And this has been more than one occasion. People have described that thing, those things, whatever they are, uh, without me ever influencing by telling the story of the time I saw that thing. They would see it on their own and be like, is there like any animals with a blue sheen to their eyes when the light hits them? I'm like, 
I've done research on that. Uh, the majority of those animals do not live in the Americas, except for llamas. And we don't have any feral llamas wandering around Hiawatha First Nation. So, no. I know, right? It'd be great to have some <laughs> llama wool or have them as pack animals. Heck yeah, I'd love to have some llamas. Anyways, um, yeah, it's like llamas, lemurs, a specific variety of monkey from uh, from like South Africa area. Uh, horses of certain breeds will have bluish eyes, uh, but not dogs, not coyote, not owls, not any birds, not any deer, other cervids in the region. And these things are described as bipedal, like walking with just two feet, not with four legs. So... Chupacabra. Chupacabra. <laughs> They're tall. And uh, will from... they disguise themselves as children? No, and that's something different. And that's the yeah. thing is like there's a lot of things happening out there. There's the the classic trope of an indigenous burial ground story. A lot of people in the community believe that there's an old burial mound back there somewhere, not in the camp, but nearby. Um, I have not found any evidence of that from my work in archaeology. I'm pretty good at being able to discern is that a mound or is that just a hill? I haven't found any evidence of it yet. That doesn't mean it doesn't exist. But also, I'm really sick to death of that trope of like, ancient Indian burial ground curse. Oh, run away. This is not poltergeist. This is not Amityville horror. This is not all that stuff. It's something happens in those swamps around the camp, and they won't come into the camp. Whatever it is that's the scary stuff that we all have experienced doesn't come into the camp per se but it knows where the boundaries are and knows how close it can get. Why? The voices you were why? hearing, um, there's some reasons I don't want to necessarily dive too deep into because it makes me sound even more crazy. <clears throat> Look how many people started looking at Les Stroud funny when he said that he's seen Bigfoot. Yeah. <laughs> or that he believes in Bigfoot and he's experienced Bigfoot. As soon as you, like, as soon as you say that out loud, your like professional reputation goes down the drain. Well, you know what, Caleb? I have no professional reputation. I've destroyed that myself on my own with a <laughs> exactly. podcast, so I'll say it. But uh, in detail, I don't want to go too far into it. It's not the right time of year. And uh, traditionally speaking, when we talk about certain, like what we call menadoc or spirits, it's preferred to talk about them in detail in the wintertime when they're alive and active and doing their thing, not when they're trying to rest. It's kind of like if you heard me and Ryan talking about you when you're trying to sleep, you'd be like, whatever they're talking about, they're talking trash. I'm annoyed. How dare they talk behind my back? Even if we we're saying things like Nikki's an awesome lady, no matter how short she is and how much she fits in Gap Kids clothing, she is she's an awesome grown woman and she's amazing. Doesn't matter if we're saying that or not, which is the truth. But if we're saying that, so if you'd still be like, I heard them say the name Nikki and I know that they're whispering, those assholes. And so like traditionally speaking, we don't talk about those Menadoc or spirits or beings in the summertime or in the fall. We wait until it's winter when they're wide awake. And yeah, there's a lot of different things that have happened around that camp. Uh, we've had one night... I think I told you about this one, the the light. And that's the crate. So for those of you that know, we have a YouTube channel. Uh, hasn't had a lot of updates in the last few years just because we've been busy with everything else we do. Uh, but way back in 2012, yeah, it was 2012. No, my mistake. It was 2013. 2013 uh, was the last year I was working at Trent University. So that's how I remember. Uh, we decided to go out with my buddy Casey, my little cousin Taylor, and my other cousin Josh and film an entire day's worth of cooking videos. From cast iron cooking to how to cook with no pots and pans at all, just cooking in the ash and using rocks and all that, uh, steam cooking with leaves, all this kind of stuff. Amazing amount of footage was filmed that day. We started at 8.30 in the morning and ended at sunset because we lost the light. 
And then we hung around and just ate all the food. It was like, what? Might as well have dinner now. So we just all ate until like we were running out of light from the fire and everything dying down. We run out of firewood at that point. And we all started walking down that top ridge trail. And we get down to where the car had been parked, which is just off Herkimer Point Road, um, up into the trail a bit. And as we're getting to the car, we hear this like, like this, like that classic missile dropping from the sky sound. And we look up and there's this giant, like, kryptonite green bright flash as it crashes into the trees right into where the camp is you could see it like hit and light up the whole area and we're like uh and it, it didn't like from what we could tell from the trajectory it was at more like you'd think it was falling from the sky coming like a 45 or steeper this looked more like it had been lobbed from the other ridge like it came in at like a very shallow angle like it just came in over the trees and then through the trees and crashed in and it landed right into where we had been filming the whole day. And Casey goes, do you want to go back and look at that? I'm like, nope. I don't know what that was. I don't know if that was radioactive or something. Let's just get in the car and go. And because I also watch a lot of horror movies. Exactly. And I am not going near whatever this could be. I saw, uh, what was it? Uh, Masters of, no, Creep Show when Stephen King found the thing out in the bush near his house. That, mm -hmm. that episode. I remember that when I was a kid. I ain't going back and finding some green glowing thing that starts to turn me into some goo. Not happening. <laughs> so we, yeah. So we leave. Uh, we all leave. And I put, I take the memory cards out of the cameras and I put them into my like little cases for them. And I put them back in their shelf in my old office, which I used to have upstairs now, the wife's office. Um, and I'm going to edit them next week. And I just forget about it. Completely forget about it. The whole thing. Everything about it. And it was about a month later. I'm driving home from work with Casey. His, at the time, girlfriend was in the front seat. I was in the back. And we just cross a bridge over near Trent University, going towards University Road. Uh, when we all kind of like hesitate, because she had been there to pick us up with the car earlier in the day, when, uh, that evening, a month prior. So she saw the light. We all in that, in that car saw that light a month prior. We saw the light. Anyways. As we're crossing the bridge and hit the other side of the bridge, like Casey pulls over and we all look at each other at the exact same moment and go, what happened with that green light a month ago? Like all of us suddenly, like our memory came back of this moment. And so we raced back to my house. I pulled those memory cards out of the pile of memory cards that were in the little box on the shelf. And I plugged them into the card reader in my computer and turned them on. And they're just static. All the footage is there, but it's just static. Like that classic TV snow static. Like, not digital stuff. It was like the old classic television static, aerial static. Like, uh, I've never seen that with a memory card before. And we go to the next memory card, same thing. Go to the next memory card, same thing. I'm like, maybe it's something wrong with the card reader? So I grab another memory card that has videos from another project we did, which eventually got on the YouTube channel. I can't remember what the video was. Probably the basics of Flint and Steel or something. I plug that in, no problem. Plug in another card, no problem. Plug in another card, no problem put the memory cards back in from that day, the whole day from 8.30 in the morning to like 8 something at night, doesn't work. Static, 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 aerial static, snow looking static. What in that? But we all remembered it. I contacted my cousin. I contacted my younger cousin. They both remembered it suddenly as soon as I called them. Like that day, they all we all remembered it. And But for an entire month, it was almost like to the date. Like let's say it was like July 20th. It was August 20th. Like almost exactly to the day, we all remembered it suddenly. And I, 
don't have any experience, explanation, any idea of what caused that. Like, is that is that fourth kind kind of stuff with aliens? <laughs> like, I don't know what's going on there. Are we dealing with extraterrestrials? Are we dealing with ghosts? Are we dealing with monsters? Are we dealing with some demon? I don't know. You need, aliens. A, you need a Geiger counter. Just to, just to check just the radiation. Check the radiation. And that levels. was the things like the and some people were like, well, why don't you go back and check like the next day? We did. And there was nothing different in the entire camp, in the entire ridge, anything except one tree, a basswood, had scorched leaves that had shriveled and died with blackening all over. <laughs> one one branch on this one tree had scorched leaves, and that's it. Everything else looked like it was never been touched by anything. No meteor crash. Because if it was like it was a boom when it hit the ground, it was a kaboom. It sounded like an explosion went off. Like somebody put like twelve pounds of tannerite together and set it off with a thirty odd six or something. It was a boom that we heard. And so you like there should have been an impact in the ground somewhere. There's nothing, but one single basswood branch had been scorched. Its leaves had been scorched and shriveled and died. And it was like thirty feet up. And away from any fire pit. So it wasn't like somebody had a raging fire and burned those leaves. So I, I, to this day, do not know what happened. And it leaves me uncomfortable. I often wonder if things had happened to me. <laughs> Was I probed? All that kind of stuff. Good thing you didn't go back. We, yeah. Every time <laughs> weird things like that happen, I literally will pause and then keep walking whatever <laughs> direction I was walking because I'm not going into a horror movie. It's not happening. Um, Camp Mud is... My favorite place in the whole wide world is why I built our camp at Camp Mud. Is It's my favorite place to teach at. It's my favorite place to camp at. It's my favorite place to experience things. But at night, I do not leave the camp. I stay in the camp or I stay on the road. I don't go into the bush. I don't do deep bush night walks. When it's hunting season and the sun starts to set, I'm the guy that leaves early. Like I, I don't stay past legal light. I get out of there as soon as possible because I don't want to be in those woods when it's dark. So what are you guys meaning when you're talking about like blue eyes and stuff? Like, like when you see a raccoon with their eyes yeah. going back at you? Yeah. It's that, ref it's that, uh, what's it called again? You're the tracker. <laughs> what? The, uh, the, the back of the eye that reflects the light back out. What's that term? The it's, retina? Well, it's not part, it's part of the retina in a the sense. The cone shaped thing? The cornea. No, it's. I gotta actually look up the word for this. I gotta um, look it up. Please look it up. It's basically a reflector at the back of an animal's eye to help them bring in more light, yeah. like and then it reflects exactly. So that's what we're talking about. It's that thing, but instead of it being like green or amber or red, uh, oh. it's it's bluish. What's the term again? Um, tapetum lucidum. That's the that's the active. That's like the phenomena that happens. Oh, okay. But the actual like piece of the eye that does that, it's like a parabolic mirror. Yeah, that bounces the light back into the eye multiple more times. So they can get like cats are most famous for it. Okay, um, and that's why they can see so well at night. Yeah, whereas all the light exactly. It says it's that's what it's called. No, that's the actual light. I yeah. thought it was a term for it, like a parabellum. Anyways, um, anyways, it's that thing, and if a light hits it, whether it's like the moon or a flashlight beam or something, it makes it go blue. And most animals, as I was saying earlier, like lemurs. A certain monkey from Africa, llamas, certain breeds of horse, and there's like one other animal from like Madagascar or Malaysia that has the blue light reflection instead of yellow or red or green. Like most deer and other cervids have kind of a green light to, especially up north. Like they say, like if you see green reflections, slow the hell down 
because a moose is about to step onto the road. Um, most cats, it's kind of like an amber yellow. Most dogs, it's I've seen it go from amber to green, depending on the animal, the, the breed. Um, I generally notice like a glossy white. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, like a this, moonlight. This so. morning, uh, when I was leaving for the hunt with Ra- our buddy Raddick, he had his dog Misha in the front seat, and I had my red ha- um, red light on. Yeah, and I look up and I just saw the eyes of Satan, <laughs> glowing coal red back at me. Sure that. Was- so you sure that wasn't Raddick? <laughs> no, uh, that was his dog Misha, and this, <laughs> and that's the the light itself. Red lights, blue lights, they can influence as well. So like LEDs that have kind of like that bluish white tone to them, they can make things look kind of blue. But most of these people that experience seeing this thing, um, it's either like an incandescent bulb or like a headlamp, uh, not a headlamp, sorry, a headlight from a car, which are not usually LED. Some people have LED headlamps, but uh, headlights on their cars, but not these folks. So it's usually like a yellow light reflecting blue back, which is very strange in its own right, because yellow is actually not in the prism of or in the spectrum of light that we can see easily our brain imagines the color yellow yeah uh kind of like what we're talking about magenta yeah because magenta is part of the ultraviolet spectrum we can't see in the ultraviolet but anyways um for it to come back as blue is really unique it's kind of like a blue jay's feathers in that sense like it's it's like a deep dark blue rather than just like a light kind of like a milky blue i would say almost like baby blue okay like that not necessarily a milky blue but like robin's egg blue yeah yeah that's about the color i would describe what i saw but kind of almost like led blue back so the first time i experienced it without anybody ever influencing my brain about what i was seeing was uh the last camping trip we did before i moved to wyoming for a summer i was gone for about five months and it was that may i was leaving on june 1st it was the last weekend of may and we had a bunch of our friends get together Uh, and one guy brought his dog out named thor who was this big beautiful black lab uh, sweetheart of a dog and he was my dog's best friend my dog was highway um people have heard me talk about highway in the past when we talked about bush dogs and on a few other episodes and for those of you that know highway he was infamous for breaking loose and escaping and running off and being a hound dog and trying to find everything out in the woods to sniff and not coming back to commands because he was a res dog who just decided to live in a house one day and Thor, on the other hand, was a very well-trained black lab. Very, very good at listening to commands. Very, very good at staying near his owner. All that kind of stuff. And it was the, I believe, the last night that we were out at the camp. And we were having a big hurrah. It was like my big going away party. We had a bunch of my friends. A bunch of my cousins came out. Everybody that I went camping with in the last year, year and a half came out to hang out. And a storm came in on the last night. And it was a big storm heavy amount of rain not any thunder but heavy 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 rain and i had tied highway up because i he had broken his lead that day like one of those cable leads finally just snapped and so i tied him up with a piece of polypropylene rope and as you know polypropylene rope does not like to hold its knot when it's wet no so at one point i looked over where the dog is supposed to be and there was just a rope and and yeah, um, Thor's owner was like, hey, well, Thor always comes back and he's going to be with highways. I'll just call Thor back. So he starts yelling, Thor, real confident, Thor, another like 30 seconds, nothing. And he's like, Thor, Thor's gone. Thor's gone. Highway's gone. They're gone. 
So I'm like, okay, the storm came in pretty sudden. It may have spooked highway. Maybe he ran back to the house or something. So I jumped on my ATV and threw my helmet on and threw my Gore-Tex rain jacket on, took off down the trail looking for the dogs and seeing if they went back to the house, bumped into the police officer who was coming off duty that night. Uh, I was like, hey, did you see two dogs run out this way? He goes, no. I'm like, if you see them, do you mind letting me know? He goes, I'm heading home. No, I can't help you. Like, I'm, I'm done my shift because cops are useful. And I was like, thanks for nothing. Bye. <clears throat> Race back to the house, expecting to find the dogs on the porch. Not there. Race up to the powwow grounds just to check if they're in the powwow arbor. Not there. Go back, start riding the trails, looking for them. And it's still raining. Like, it's it's still heavily raining while I'm doing this. So I'm not looking for tracks because it's going to get washed away. Any mud is going to get washed away by this rain. It was torrential downpour. I was gone for 30 seconds and already drenched to the bone. And, yeah, I kept looking for about 40 minutes, driving every trail, looking, 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 get back. Asked my buddy Dave Ross, who was there, I said, have the dogs come back? And he's like, no, like, we haven't heard them at all. Uh, but you may not have heard them because you're on the ATV. I'm like, you know what? You're right. My, my ATV is pretty loud. I'll go back, get changed in my camp and go. Now that the rain has subsided, finally, it was just coming down as a fine mist at this point. I'm going to change out of the wet clothes and I'm going to go walk the trails and see if I can hear them. Cause one thing, everybody that has met highway knew he bayed like a, like a sea lion. Like these weird, weird non-dog bays. And as soon as he's having some fun, you would hear him baying. And if Thor was around, you'd hear this gruff black lab bark bork thing going on. And it would literally hur, 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 bark bork bark bork. <laughs> and highway is just a bagel. Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much like a big old gull party. <laughs> so I'm looking around and I'm listening for them, listening for them. And I hear another dog back up near Hiawatha Line off Herkimer Point Road barking. And I'm like, chances are the dogs went to play with this dog. And I get up to where that person's house. It takes me about 20 minutes to walk there. Uh, walking through the entire swamp, walk, walking uh, uh, Herkimer Point Road, the entire road in the dark. No, no stars, no moon. And I've got just an incandescent army elbow flashlight with like the, the, the amber light on it. And I'm walking along, lights off. I'm just going to turn it on whenever I think I hear the dogs. And I walk all the way through the wetland and then get back into the trees where it gets real dark again. And start to walk up that last bit of the hill before you get to Hiawatha Line. And I get to the house where I know there's a dog with a dog house in the backyard. And I'm looking back there. And I think it was at the time a boxer they had. They now have like a, a golden retriever and another, and another dog. But back then it was like a boxer looking thing. And that dog was afraid of nothing. That dog would come running out to the end of his chain as loud as he could, ready to fight like black bears. That dog was afraid of jack and shit. And I get up there and this dog is in his dog house quaking, like shaking. And barking really scared, aggressive, short barks. I'm like, and I'm like, all the lights are on around the house. All those like motion sensor lights are on. And I'm like, looking, I'm like, don't see the dogs. But it's gotta be the dogs. It's gotta be like nothing else would set this dog off like this crazy. So I kind of give up because I know he's not up. They're not up on the on the main road. Turn around, start walking back towards the camp, and I start going back down that hill part of the road or that that gradient on the road when I hear things move in the brush to my left on the same side of the road that that house was on. And I turn the light and I see two sets of blue glowing eyes. Don't really like, again, it's one of those incandescent bulbs on an elbow army style flashlight. It's not the brightest light on the planet. 
So I'm seeing like a dogish kind of shaped head, but not in detail. Still pretty dark, but I can see the light reflecting back, and it's blue. I'm like, I've never seen blue light. That's weird. Didn't know Highway had bluish reflective eyes. That's you'd think after like four or five years at that point having this dog, I would have noticed that. But hey, now I'm kind of confused. So I'm like, Highway, Thor, and the two heads look at each other, and then the one on the to, on my right, their left moves one step closer but the other one's hanging back and i'm guessing that's highway because he knows i'm about to catch him and put him back on his leash and drag him back to the camp so now i'm getting impatient i start stepping into the ditch that's there of course it's been raining the grass is slick and i slip onto my ass and as i hit the ground the one that's in front runs up a little bit more and then stands straight up like six feet above my head looking down at me it looks almost like the neck of a giraffe kind of look and I'm like, what the hell? And I had a, I had an inkling that there might have been a bear out, and I was worried that I'd have to get my dog away from a bear because I would like try and play with bears. So I had this buck hoodlum knife, which is like this massive, long, wondering if it's around me, no, long Bowie knife looking thing. It's real long. It's like an Arkansas toothpick, like dagger, stabby Bowie knife thing. And I pull it out and yell, what the hell is that? And that's when they took off running. And if you think about, like, again, you've heard animals move in the woods. Ryan, you've heard animals move in the woods. When you hear, like, a four-legged, like, deer or a moose or a bear, like, it's because they got four feet going. All I hear running away is, like, bipedal running. I was like, no, 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 that's that's not possible. That's not. There's There's one bipedal animal in these woods, and that's humans. This should not be happening. What did I just see? And I'm like, okay. Maybe when I slipped into the ditch, I did drop down like two feet down in gradient and then dropped and actually fell onto my butt. So that's like another two or three feet. So that's four or five feet that I came down. Maybe if the dog had like run up onto a hummock or something and was looking down at me, I got like an optical illusion effect with the flashlight and everything. And it's actually just the dog. It's kind of just be the dogs. That doesn't explain the running, and that doesn't explain the fact that there is no hummocks in this area. It's a low land. There's, it's flat bush through there. It's, it's an optical illusion of just my head playing games with me in the dark, whatever. I start walking back because I'm assuming that they ran towards the camp because that's the direction I could hear them running off is on the other side of the wetland from the road that parallels the road. So, okay, I'll start walking back towards the camp. And I've been gone at this point for like 30, 40 minutes at, at least. And I start walking back down that long road, that long open swamp or wetland. And as I'm walking, every once in a while I hear like a branch snap on the other side of the wetland. I would look over and looking across at me at the same height would be these reflective blue eyes. They're like, yeah, the dogs can just climb trees now. I'm going to keep walking. <laughs> trying not to run, trying not to panic, trying not to lose my, my shit. And I keep walking and walking and I get all the way to the corner where the, the road turns up the hill towards the camp facing away from the marsh. Now I'm walking perpendicular away from where these things are. And it's the deepest part of the swamp is right there. Luckily, I, in my eyes, I'd say it's lucky. And I get about halfway up the hill. When I start hearing this like screeching, whooping sound, not like the classic Sasquatch whoop. It was more like a weird bird scream. Do it. I can't even imagine what it was like. I can't even like vocalize what it was like. It was like, Picture a pterodactyl scream that you know from a movie without the raspy, rumbly part. Just that shriek. Nope, don't like that. Into, the, into this almost like primate kind of tone to it. 
without the raspiness. Yeah, that without the raspiness, but longer. Like, I can't. I can't. I'm trying to imagine how to do it. And I can't even make my vocal cords do that. I can do a walking impression. I can do Arnold, <laughs> but I can't impre- do an impression of this thing I heard. And I'm going to be frank. Uh, for those of you who have never seen what I look like, I am rotund. I am not physically fit. I am a very chubby, husky, fluffy man. It's ironic I'm wearing a Hawaiian shirt while I call myself fluffy. Apparently I'm the Ojibwe Gabriel Iglesias. But anyways, I ran my ass hard up that hill all the way to the top of that ridge and ran into camp. And as I was running into the camp, I see the firelight and I see like seven or eight of my friends and I slow it down because I'm like, okay, I'm safe. Play it cool. I don't want them panicking. I don't want them thinking I'm crazy because I don't know what I just saw or heard. I'm going to just walk into camp. I'm just going to walk into camp. And as I walk into camp, I notice that there's Highway and Thor tied up sitting beside Thor's owner. And I'm like, there's no way they got here before I did from that experience because it took me like three minutes to run that hill and all the way into the camp. There's no way they ran through the entire swamp around to the trap line and back up one of the roads and got there and leashed just before I got there. That's There's no way. So I come in like, and I just kind of sit down for a minute like, hey, guys, <laughs> how's it going? They're like, not too bad. I'm like, when the dogs get back? And they're like, oh, like literally like five minutes after you left. I was like, at this point, I've been gone for nearly an hour. So that was never the dogs. And I ask, and I get up and I start to walk away, trying to catch my breath, not trying to make anybody panic. And Dave walks up and Dave and I are facing the trail that looks down into that ravine that everybody has really spooky feelings about. And I'm just looking over there, waiting to see these eyes shining back. I know I'm going to see them. And Dave walks over to me and goes, what the hell did we hear five minutes ago? And I was like, you guys heard that? He goes, clear as a bell. Like loud and clear. It sounded like it was 10 feet from us. It scared the shit out of us. And I'm like, I can't even explain what it was. All I'm going to say is don't leave the camp tonight. And he's like, okay. And that was my entire experience. The whole night I stayed up scared out of my mind till like five in the morning. Till I started seeing like the, the bust of sunlight of sunrise coming. Like, you know, when the light starts to just go from dark to gray at that time, that's when I fell asleep. And the next day, Dave and I talked about it again. We couldn't, like, I tried to explain what I witnessed. And, like, Dave trying to trust me and believe me and not not try to imagine me being uh, a liar. He's like, dude, I, I love you and I, I believe you, but it's really hard to believe what you're telling me, except for the fact that I know you could not make a sound like that. And that happened from one direction and you came running in from the other direction. I don't know what happened. I'm like, yep. Did anybody leave the camp last night? He goes, nope. I made sure everybody stayed in the camp. I'm like, okay. And I've had four different people now tell me their experience with these blue eyes on two legs in the bush somewhere back there. From deep, like, guttural growls from the woods when somebody's walking their dog to somebody's walking to my camp. And they decide to walk all the way back as they drive their car from their place. And they decide to take a night stroll. And as they got in near the camp, they saw lights these blue reflective eyes back in the swamp somewhere staring at them at human height. Well, now I feel left out. I need to see these. Now. I do too. Yeah. You really don't. It left me like to put into perspective. I've been charged by moose on three separate occasions. I got charged by a bison in Wyoming. I had a mountain lion 
try to get me in Wyoming. We got stalked by a mountain lion that we were aware of seven separate times. I got stalked by a black bear up in Man uh, Manitowaj area when I was 19. I have had sc scary experiences with human beings of all walks of life. I've only been charged by humans and bighorn sheep. So <laughs> I haven't had a bighorn sheep yet. Yeah. What I'm getting at is all of those things combined still don't haunt me like what I experienced that. And it's the one thing that keeps me not looking out past the ridge when sunset comes. I keep my eyes in the camp. I don't look out there and I try to pretend not to hear anything moving through the bush. It's my scariest experience in my entire life. And like flat out end of story. The most terrified I've ever been. Top 10 most terrified, number one. That. Second, uh, when my dad found me with some nudie magazines. see. <laughs> <laughs> All right, folks. Uh, hopefully you're as scared as we are. We're in broad daylight right now and our arm hair standing on the top of its it's roots. Like goose pimples. Goose pimples, everything. And I'm like having palpitations from remembering all this. Hopefully you enjoyed these stories. I want to thank all of you for listening and tuning in tonight to this episode. I also want to thank Nikki Satira and Ryan Moffat for joining me on this very special episode titled Scary Stories to Tell in the Woods. Uh, thank you so much to all of you. You guys are awesome, both my listeners and you two amazing people. Ryan and Nikki are now making hand hearts at me. <laughs> this is awkward. We're going to end it off now. We Thanks love for you. Because that didn't sound creepy. <laughs> the spooky podcast. <laughs> fair, fair. Thank you very much, folks. Have yourself a good night and happy Halloween. All right, folks. I hope you enjoyed all these spooky stories tonight. I really enjoyed telling them. I loved watching the shiver go up Nikki's spine and the hair stand up on the back of Rye's neck. These stories are just so fun to tell, whether it's here on the podcast or out in the woods around a campfire. That's the fun of telling a story is the reactions and the 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 response and the the community that is built around that story. And with that word of community, I want to thank our community, the Dragonfly Nation, you, dear listener, especially those of you who are part of our Patreon, our patrons, people like Victoria Elliott Kwan, Alexandra Sumner, Heather Francis, Dan Bartram, and of course, Deb Dibel. These people and more are keeping the lights on and keeping sushi fed, our dear dog, and if she is not fed often with all the great food that we give her from what you're able to afford... She may end up becoming Cujo and consuming us. So thank you to all of you who keep the lights on here in the dungeon of the Canadian Bushcraft podcast. Uh, and beyond that, one other person I want to thank, beyond, of course, the people I thanked earlier, like Rye and Nikki for being on the episode, is Winston Boudreaux, whose music has been building the atmosphere around these very special episodes from episode one to episode three so far, these songs have been helping create what is the Halloween special. So thank you, Winston, yet again for such beautiful music. And on the note of the beautiful music and everything going and flowing and everything that's happening, I want to give you a heads up of what's coming up next weekend. Episode four. This one is going to be very special. We call it the Monster Mash. And we bring in monsterologist Brian Jordan, a professor at Durham College who developed an entire course project on monsters and what they mean to us as citizens of the world, as human beings. Why do we tell scary stories? Why did we just spend 
all this time on this episode telling scary stories involving creatures and monsters and spooky people and all that. It's because of what he's going to talk to us about next week on episode four. And we call this episode the Monster Mash. We're going to be talking about everything from vampires and their origins and their importance in our culture all the way down to zombies and in and film in every direction of why these things keep coming back into our cultures and why do they evolve and why do they change with globalization and what is a monster and what is truly the power of a scary story. So that's coming up next week on the podcast. So tune in for that next Sunday. And with that, I want to leave you with a very cool song. It's actually our intro music, the full uh, the full uh, weight of our intro song, uh, Slasher Squad by Winston Boudreaux. Hope you enjoy. Thank you.